Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You know, one of the biggest myths surrounding the vegan diet is that vegans don't get enough protein, right? Most common question vegans are asked by meat eaters, where do you get your protein from? And I'll specifically address that question in a minute. But the problem here is meat has really become synonymous with protein. But come on, protein is protein. Protein is made from amino acids. And amino acids are indeed required for making the proteins in our body, right? People build muscle and other necessary body proteins from amino acids, which come from the proteins we eat. But these amino acids are just as readily available in plants as they are in meat. Yes, meat is protein dense, but protein is found in plant-based foods. And there's this belief by some that one could never get too much protein and more protein is better. Well, it's simply not true. Consuming excess amounts of protein can actually be harmful. And many people are unaware of the health risks associated with a high protein diet. So if you're eating animals, it's pretty likely you're getting too much protein. The typical meat-eating North American eats about twice the amount of protein that they need in a single day. And the main problem here with too much protein is your body can't store it. Your body can store fat, your body can store carbohydrates, but you can't store protein. So what happens, it gets metabolized and releases toxic substances. It also causes you to lose calcium, so animal protein creates this acidic condition in your body, which can be a bad thing, but that's a whole other topic. So where do we vegans get our protein? From our plant-based diets. In fact, plants are so rich in protein that they can meet the protein needs of the Earth's largest animals. Elephants, giraffes, hippopotamuses, and cows, they all are vegetarians. They certainly are able to obtain the protein they need by only eating plants. So how about us human vegans specifically? You got your whole grains, certain breads, rice, barley, whole grain pastas, your legumes, right? What's a legume? Anything that grows in a pot. Beans, peas, lentils, very protein-rich. And this would also include all the soy or tofu products out there. Tofu is also known as bean curd, which comes from soy milk. Green vegetables, yes, certain veggies are a great source of protein. Broccoli, for example. And then we have our nuts, sprouts, and seeds, again, loaded with healthy protein. And remember, with these foods, you're not only getting your healthy source of protein, you're getting other vital nutrients as well that you will not find in meat. And that's the thing. Meat is protein and fat. That's it. No fiber, no complex carbohydrates for energy, no vitamins to protect your body from illnesses. Meat is protein and fat. And we already said that most North American meat eaters are probably getting too much protein, which is not healthy for you. And the fat in meat is mostly saturated fat, and this fat turns into cholesterol. And we know about what this so-called bad cholesterol can do to us. And by the way, there's no cholesterol in plant-based foods. Now let's talk about fiber for a minute. What is fiber? Fiber is plant roughage. So you're not going to find fiber in meat. 
it's only in plant foods. It's, it's actually the indigestible part of plant foods that pushes through our digestive system, absorbing water along the way and easing bowel movements. And a high fiber diet has many health benefits. Soluble fiber reduces the amount of cholesterol the liver makes and slows the absorption of cholesterol. So overall, soluble fiber lowers our bad cholesterol levels. Legumes, right? Beans, peas, lentils, oats, Barley, beans, fruits, and vegetables, all high in fiber. There's no fiber in meat. Healthiest diet you can have, high fiber, low fat. That's a plant-based diet. The human body has absolutely no nutritional requirements for animals or their products. Okay, so back to protein. So Lori, you're vegan. You must be protein deficient and weak and frail. And how are you even standing up right now? Plants have protein. I'm telling you, if you're consuming enough calories via a relatively healthy plant-based diet, it's very difficult to not get enough protein in your diet. So let's talk about specific foods. Two tablespoons of peanut butter contain approximately eight grams of protein. I put about that much peanut butter or almond butter on my whole grain bread in the morning. And the whole grain bread I have is about another eight grams of protein. So that's already 15 or 16 grams of protein for breakfast. And didn't even mention my seven grams of protein in my oatmeal, which is loaded with fiber, by the way. And then maybe for lunch, I'll have some lentil soup. Ha! Very high in fiber. And guess what? A single cup of cooked lentil beans is going to offer 18 grams of protein. So my lentil soup and maybe some brown rice for lunch is a pretty proteinaceous, healthy meal, wouldn't you say? Now, if you want to believe the guidelines from the United States Department of Agriculture that the recommended daily allowance of protein for the average American man and woman is 56 grams and 46 grams, respectively. I think I pretty much just met my daily protein needs with my breakfast and lunch alone, don't you? This quantity of protein one needs on a daily basis is almost impossible to avoid when daily caloric needs are being met by eating a relatively healthy plant-based diet. Another myth about the vegan diet, you don't get enough calcium. Many people think if you don't drink the secretions from a cow or products made from cow's milk like cheese, then you must not be meeting your body's calcium needs and you're going to get weak bones and osteoporosis and whatever. So where do I get my calcium? Okay, some of the most calcium-rich foods include nuts, seeds, tofu, beans, grains, leafy green vegetables. Actually, same kinds of foods I get my protein from. In addition, many vegan alternatives to cow's milk, like soy or almond milk, are fortified with calcium, and it's probably recommended that most women take a calcium supplement anyway. But putting aside the cruelty inherent in the dairy industry and all the evidence out there that shows that milk and dairy products are not only not necessary in your diet, but in fact are harmful to your health, doesn't it seem strange or unnatural if you drink cow's milk or eat dairy products like ice cream, yogurt, cheese, that you're consuming something that is intended to be consumed by calves? I mean, the milk a cow produces was intended to feed her offspring not humans. Yes, I know, ice cream tastes good, but it, it's a strange concept if you think for a minute about where it came from, isn't it? Health benefits of a vegan diet, a plant-based diet. The most common diseases that are killing Americans today, obesity, heart disease, diabetes, and cancer, are not a natural consequence of aging or secondary to bad genes. 
It's our diet. 95% of the American diet is processed and refined foods and animal products. This is the best diet to kill us. And this is the typical North American diet. And it's not only killing us, but it's making our kids fatter than ever. And, by the way, Americans are spending more money on health care than any other industrialized country in the world. Yet we're sicker than ever. Heart disease, stroke, cancer, other illnesses are the direct result of the toxic Western diet. But here's the good news. It's been shown that many of the illnesses that are caused by consuming animal products are reversible. For example, the narrowing and clogging of your arteries by animal fat and cholesterol can be reversed, they can open up again, simply by changing your diet. Doctors tend to overlook the power of nutrition as a means to prevent disease. In fact, I don't remember taking any courses on nutrition when I went to medical school. For me, the decision to become a vegan was easy. When I learned about the horrible cruelty and suffering inflicted upon 10 billion farm animals every year, the tremendous impact on the environment, and the effects on our health, the choice was pretty obvious. You can take control of your health. Make a New Year's resolution. Give up the meat, dairy, and eggs. I'm confident within one to two months, your energy is going to improve. Your digestion will improve. If you have high blood pressure or cholesterol, you're going to see that come down. Your weight's going to fall. Your concentration will improve. You can do this. A plant-based diet is the single most powerful thing you can do to prevent and fight against disease. So it's good for you. And of course, it's good for the animals. Lori, did you see the story about that cute little penguin and the guy in South America? Yes, that was adorable. Okay, so there's this... uh, Man, elderly man, he's a retired bricklayer in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, and he rescued and saved this little cute little penguin who had oil all over him or her. I'm not sure the gender of this little penguin. Anyway, he saved this penguin who was languishing on the rocks in 2011, nursed the penguin back to health, fed the penguin fish, and then the penguin ultimately uh, left. But eight months later, came back and has been uh, doing so since 2011. This penguin goes down, presumably uh, down to the coast of Argentina or Chile and uh, swims. The round trip is 5,000 miles, comes back every year, spends the rest of the time with the man, and they hang out. And the the, uh, naturalists think the penguin thinks the man is, is indeed a penguin. And they snuggle together and he's feeding it. No one else is allowed near the penguin. The penguin will peck at other people. But it's like uh, he sees the man and he just honks and wags his tail like a little dog with just delight. It's really cute. Every year he does the same thing? Every year since 2011. That's adorable. Yeah. day in our community, countless animals are starved, beaten, and abused by people. And sadly, most of these cases go unreported, and the abusers get away with it. And in many cases, someone knew about the abuse but did not report it. So if you see someone hurting an animal, or even if you just suspect something, call the police or animal control right away. Animal abuse does not just mean physically abusing an animal. Neglecting animals can be just as bad. So if you see your neighbor's dog being underfed, left without water, or tied up in the backyard without protection from the elements, it's important to report that too. 
In many cases, you don't even have to give your name and your phone call may save an animal's life. Remember, animals can't speak out for themselves, so reporting animal abuse can save lives. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. For the past three decades, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. ISAR is committed to raising public awareness of dog and cat overpopulation through ISAR's Worldwide International Homeless Animals Day. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.com. Welcome back. A few years ago, I had a very interesting talk with the state attorney, Frances Carlisle, and she had some interesting things to say about Leona Helmsley and her dog, Trouble, after which we moved on to other topics. Let's listen now. Let's talk about the queen of the mean, Leona Helmsley, and her dog, Trouble. She left millions to her dog. Can you tell us about that? Uh, Leona Helmsley, who loved dogs, I have to say, I give her a lot of credit for that. She set up a pet trust for her little dog. She had a little, I think it was a Maltese named Trouble, and she put $12 million into that trust for the dog. Now, um, there was a lot of publicity about that, a lot of negative publicity about it, and uh, it actually was not a good idea to put that much money in because the dog started receiving death threats and dog napping threats, and it was so bad that... um, The little dog had to be hustled out of her Connecticut home and flown to a secret location under an assumed name. (laughs) And then they had to hire round-the-clock security uh, to take care of the dog, which was very expensive. Anyway, um, so, I mean, it was, was not a good idea to put that amount of money in the trust. And, in fact, the amount was reduced by the court to $2 million. And it wasn't reduced because the court said it was too much. It was actually reduced because the executors realized that there would be a, about a $5 million tax, estate tax bill if they left it at $12 million. So they reduced it to $2 million, and that reduced the estate tax bill to zero. And $2 million, of course, is plenty of money to take care of one, one little dog. But I tell my clients, let's figure out the amount. Let's leave a modest amount, a reasonable amount for the care of animals. You don't need to, to leave so much money. Uh, we want to make sure we have plenty for whatever's needed for the animal, but we don't need to leave millions in a pet trust. And a lot of that money went to protecting the dog. <laughs> yes, it ended up the round-the-clock security was the big, the big ticket item in that trust. The and government... the dog did pass away in 2010, and I think it had a pretty good life until it did pass away. But she left the bulk of her estate to the Helmsley Charitable Trust, which was a huge billions of dollars went to a charitable trust. And she actually had a mission statement that she wanted a lot of that money to go for um, dogs, to rescue dogs and help dogs, but the trustees have gotten around that, and they, uh, they're they using it for general charitable purposes. We've been talking about estate planning for the continuing care of a pet after the death of the owner, but should there be any preparation for emergencies, such as the hospitalization of the owner of the animal? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Um, for one thing, I have all my clients sign a power of attorney so that the agent they appoint um, has access to funds to pay for veterinary care and other expenses of caring for the animals if the owner is capacitated for any length of time. And also, I tell my clients to make sure that someone has um, authority to enter the house uh, and feed and care for the animals uh, on, on an emergency basis or maybe even a long-term basis because if someone's hospitalized, then they're going to need that care immediately. Um, a lot of my clients carry a card in their wallets with the name and address of the person who's going to care for those dogs and cats so they can be contacted, that person can be contacted and start to care for those animals immediately. So definitely you need a lot of planning for the periods of incapacity. Such a great idea. Francis, friends of ours just rescued a middle-aged African tortoise, and this tortoise will probably outlive them both since she might live to 150 years or more. What wow. are the challenges in estate planning when you're talking about animals with very long lives? Well, there are a lot of challenges, and some of my clients have parrots, which can live 80 or 90 years, and, of course, even horses live, you know, 30, 40 years. So there are animals that can live a long time, and they present uh, a little bit of a challenge. Um, you can create a pet trust for these animals, of course, but um, the worry is that, that the animals will outlive the trustee, uh, who's the one, you know, in charge of their care. But the the key is to leave to have several alternate trustees named in the trust document so you know if this person passes away or resigns then then this other person takes takes the trustee's place and so on and you would want at least some younger um, people listed there and then maybe a mechanism for an alternate trustee if all of the named trustees have passed away then you could say um, oh for example you could say that the board of directors of this charity uh, is going to select the right person to be trustee uh, if there's no trustee acting. So maybe it would be with the turtle, maybe it would be a, a charity that, that specializes in that species of animals. Uh, but there are, there are creative ways to make sure that those animals are cared for for life. Alternatively, um, some of clients decide that they want, instead of the pet trust, or in addition to the pet trust, they will want the animal to go to an animal sanctuary for life because there are sanctuaries that take care of, say, parrots uh, and other different species of animals. And um, there's sanctuaries that have been in existence a long time and, and that are well run, and the animal can go and live at the sanctuary for life. Uh, you do want to check them out, though, to make sure it's good and it's well-funded and it's going to, to last and be around a long time before you uh, make that commitment to send your animal to a sanctuary after you die. So, Francis, do you want to share with us a recent case that you handled? Sure. Um, one that really uh, tugged at my heartstrings was uh, the case I heard about, uh, a case of these two elderly women uh, who had been rescuing cats all their lives in Brooklyn. And they had a big house, and it was filled with cats, and they were, you know, doing a great job taking care of all these cats. I, there might have been 40 or 50 cats, but both of the women were sick. And um, one was uh, in the hospital or in a nursing home, and the other one was uh, going into the hospital very seriously ill. And they had made no plan for these animals. So a neighbor alerted me 
and I was able to quickly do some documents, and they were they were competent to sign these documents. I'll have money go um, to a really good rescue charity upstate that had a little house on their property, and the arrangement was made that this the neighbor actually knew all about this charity and helped with this greatly. That when when they passed away, all these animals would go up to this charity, and they would all live together in this little house. And fortunately, there was enough money uh, that these two ladies had that uh, all of this could be paid for, and the charity wouldn't be out money, and they would have enough to care for these animals for the rest of their lives. And so um, that was something that was done that if it had not been done, uh, there would have been you know close to 50 cats, um, a lot of them elderly, with really nowhere to go and no money to help in their placement. So I was glad I was able to do it. So, you know, with this planning, everything was fine. Without the planning, it would have been a disaster. Very good story. Francis, what is the most important thing you could tell our listeners who love their companion animals? Well, the, the important thing is to start thinking about uh, what a plan for your animals. Take the first step and, and, and think about what you would want to happen to your animals and then seek out um, somebody, an attorney, who can help you implement that plan and somebody who has a concern for animals and an interest in this area of the law. Um, and, and then you will be doing right by your animals. Trusts and Estates Attorney Francis Carlisle, thank you for giving us this important information. Thank you. to the show. You know, we're all interested in it driving safely when we've got the dogs in the car and you see a wide range of behaviors uh, going from the people who like the little dog in their lap, which is something we always cringe about and we're afraid the dog's going to distract them or jump out the window or whatever. The dog in the passenger seat, that's not much better, uh, maybe a little bit, but they're going to be a projectile if you've got to uh, stop suddenly. Dogs in the back seat, that's probably a a little better anyway. And of course, the uh, dogs in the back of the pickup truck just uh, roaming around back here. That's a brilliant, love that. What are the car manufacturers uh, doing to improve and promote dog safety when you're driving with your dogs? Volvo, it turns out, has been interested in this for a long time, and they've been incorporating safety equipment into their cars. Um, Another company that's interested in this uh, especially is Subaru. There's a lot of aftermarket gear available, like uh, nets and harnesses to keep your dogs where you want them. Along with Harris Poll, Volvo has just put out a poll of 1,342 pet owners uh, to learn more about this. And uh, almost all of them said they've driven with their uh, canine companions. But 48% said they did not own any safety gear for their pets uh, for the car. And 41% said they let the dogs ride in the front seat, which uh, we don't really like. This was strange. 23% of the respondents said they used human seatbelts to harness their pet. I just don't see how that's going to work at all. And only 5% said they used the built-in pet safety harness that came with the car. That doesn't surprise me. These things are unwieldy and really basically a pain in the neck. So in my view, there's still a lot of safety improvements that need to 
be developed or need to be employed when you're driving in your car with your dogs. Please don't drive with the dog in your lap. That really bugs me. And I remember, Lori and I, remember when we were on that uh, little road trip with our dogs and we were staying at a sort of resort and we were on the ground floor. We had a little patio. And next to us, oh, we didn't have our dogs with us that time, but there was a couple next to us. They had three large dogs. They were traveling in an SUV. And in the back, they've got these three kennels each holding one dog. And they got the dogs out of the car, and I can hear them barking in their little patio apartment. And they deconstructed these little crates, and they used them as barrier gates and made a little enclosed area on the porch for their dogs. So the dogs got to hang out outside with them without being tempted to run away and then go inside. It was the most clever thing. And certainly probably the safest way to drive with your dogs would be to have a crate, put the crate in the back, tie down the crate, and then your dog's in the crate, right? That's a lot of work. So maybe we can figure out a better solution. Okay. With all the hullabaloo about that high school in Florida and the tiger and other animals they had on display, I thought I would talk a little bit about captive tigers in America. There are uh, thousands of captive tigers, and they're generally all exploited, and uh, they are owned by these uh, roadside zoos and attractions largely. And uh, really, what happens to these poor animals and the cubs is just a, a tragedy, and it is just ridiculous that it is still legal, but really it it is. And there's this term called cub petting. Remember that one? And in cub petting, the idea is to create cub tigers, and then when they are at the right age, which is approximately 8 to 12 weeks of age, you are permitted with your little license to pass the tiger around and let your paying customers get pictures of them holding these little uh, tigers. And um, these cubs, it's really a shame. They're removed from their mothers as infants instead of being with them for two years. And they're passed around from person to person, often for like hours at a time. They can get dehydrated. They can be totally stressed out. And they're also exposed to viruses like canine distemper virus that dogs carry. It's very lethal for the big cats. They are fed by bottle. They don't have regular diet, so they can become malnourished. And they get this thing called metabolic bone disease. And the bones are weak and they break easily. And then you're left with crippled, injured tigers. The window for these tigers to make money for their owners is very narrow. So they have to get a lot of viewings and paying customers right away. And sometimes the owners reportedly delay the normal feeding of these tigers to extend their value. So these tiger cubs are really um, abused. Of course, their mothers are also abused. They are bred at usually a very rapid pace. Uh, Usually, like I said before, they will stay with their cubs for as long as two years in the wild, which means that they would only uh, produce a litter like once every three years. But when the cubs are removed from their captive mother and then they are forced to have another litter, they can have up to three litters per year. And this obviously is very stressful for the health of the mother and it's just absolutely cruel. Now, the public... The public doesn't really know what's going on. They are kept in the dark about this. They think it's a cute thing, and you get a picture of your kid holding a tiger. 
and they are being misled. They are told it's educational. They are told that it supports conservation, which it does not. There's nothing about conservation in this whole industry of cub breeding and petting. Most of the tigers in roadside zoos are actually hybrids. They're crosses between different subspecies. And that means that even if you could find a place to release them, they totally are unsuited to life in the wild. It just could not happen. And besides, these places are not going to release them anyway. Uh, Moreover, if you cared, and I don't think they do, uh, releasing these hybrids into the wild would just mess up the whole genetic pool anyway in the wild. So that's not a good idea. So it's just a huge mess. We need stronger legislation. IFAW, one of our favorite animal welfare groups in the world, is trying to do something about this. And really, it's going to take nationwide legislation to just make the private ownership of big cats just illegal. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio. And I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for a serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild, or whether your family should adopt a tortoise, or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today, and this is your Animals Today Minute for today. It's kitten season, and you may come across a litter of young kittens. Your first reaction will be to rescue them, thinking they've been abandoned. Stop. It's much more likely that the mother is off hunting for food or looking for a safer place to nest, or was just frightened by you. If the kittens are clearly not in distress and the nest is not in danger, leave them alone for the mother will likely return. But check again in a couple of hours and if they're still there, then please, yes, rescue them. If you need advice, call Forever Meow at 888-889-0345, extension 8. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner and that was your Animals Today Minute for the day. Lori, recently in the news, there have been a number of really sad stories about the effects of xylitol, particularly when dogs are eating xylitol. They get very sick and sometimes die. And in fact, the FDA has just released a consumer health information bulletin talking about xylitol and dogs. And you can review this at fda.gov consumer. But it's a pretty comprehensive uh, warning about all the foods that contain xylitol, including chewing gum. And I'm going to talk about the specific brands of gum in just a minute, so you can be aware of that. But the xylitol is really dangerous to dogs. You know why? Because it causes a strong release of insulin from the pancreas in dogs, but not in people. And this causes profound decrease in blood sugar, and that can come on in just a few minutes and can be life-threatening. Symptoms of xylitol poisoning in dogs includes vomiting and then decreased activity, weakness, staggering, incoordination, collapse, and seizures, and death. 
So if you even think your dog has eaten xylitol, you want to bring him or her to the vet or animal hospital immediately. Even before showing these symptoms. Even before. And they may want to keep your dog there for 12 to 24 hours to monitor to make sure this uh, doesn't occur. And you know, interestingly, cats really don't care to eat xylitol. So it's not really a problem with, with them. So what are some of the foods containing xylitol? Well, the items I'll say are some sugar-free candies, uh, toothpaste. Some human toothpaste contains xylitol, so you don't want to let your dog near that. And that's the other reason why you don't want to brush your dog's teeth with human toothpaste, by the way. Mouthwash, some nut butters. That's a new thing. Some of these nut butters have added xylitol for sweetness. But the biggest offender appears to be chewing gum. So don't let your dog near chewing gum. And mints too, right, Peter? Yeah, you bet. Some sugar-free mints are sweetened with xylitol. So here are some of the gum brands that contain xylitol. Spry gum, Epic gum, Miradent, Trident and Trident Fusion with xylitol, Trident Extra Care, Icebreakers, Ice Cube, Sugar-Free, and Zelly's Xylitol Gum. So be careful, don't let your dogs near any of those products. You know, you make a good point too, because a lot of people think it's okay to brush their dog's teeth with human toothpaste, and it's not because of the fact that many of the toothpaste do contain xylitol. In addition, people think, well, my dog has bad breath, so I'm gonna have my dog drink some mouthwash. Well, that could be dangerous as well. And finally, this is interesting news about the nut butters, Peter, because a lot of people think that, you know, any of the peanut butters, they're safe for dogs, and they may not be. So look at the labels. As temperatures climb, please remember never to leave your dog in the car, even for just a minute. Because even with the windows cracked and your car parked in the shade, the temperature inside can climb up in a matter of minutes, high enough to kill your pet. If you love your dog, leave them at home. And if you see a dog or other pet in a car, you may only have a minute to save their life. Here are a couple steps you can take. Make an announcement in the store or business that the car is parked nearest to. Also, call the police department or animal control right away. Remember, it only takes a minute or two for a dog to get seriously ill or die in a car on a warm day. So swift action can save a life. Dogs are unable to cool themselves the way people can. So never leave a dog or any animal inside a car on a warm day, not even for a minute. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Check them out at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. Hi, this is Lori. And it's Peter here. And make sure you check us out at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. AnimalsTodayRadio.com. And visit us on Facebook. And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's AnimalsTodayRadio.com. Thanks for listening. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner from Animals Today. Here's a question for you. What do game show host Bob Barker, actress Tippi Hedren, journalist and author Jane Velez Mitchell, and rock legend Paul Rogers all have in common? That's right. Each one has been a guest on Animals Today. In fact, people from all walks of life, like scientists, lawyers, dog and cat rescuers, and whale protectors, have shared their views and described their work on behalf of animals on the show. 
So keep up on the latest and most important animal news and issues from around the world each week right here. Make sure to join the discussion on Facebook and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And of course, I welcome your ideas and suggestions. So feel free to contact me at Dr. Lori, that's D-R-L-O-R-I, at animalstodayradio.com. See you next time. Today's Animals Today Minute is about the Danube Delta. One of the most biodiverse places on Earth is Romania's Danube Delta. Home to more than 5,000 plant and animal species, only the Great Barrier Reef can boast more. This ever-changing delta, where the Danube meets the Black Sea, has 30 distinct ecosystems including marshes, grasslands, reed beds, wetlands, and a forest. After the fall of communism, agricultural areas were allowed to be flooded again, and its prior natural state has largely returned. The Delta is one of the world's top destinations for bird watching, and visitors can view a variety of species, including herons, egrets, and kingfishes. Other notable birds found there are bee eaters, the very colorful European roller, and the hard to spot Ictrin warbler. In fact, more than 300 bird species call the Delta home or pass through it. In the summer, great white pelicans congregate, and red breasted geese are there in winter. The Delta is simply a delight for wildlife photographers. When you visit, it's best to take a multi-day tour with an established eco-friendly tour company. The Delta is sparsely populated by people, and there is very little infrastructure like running water. Another rare feature of the Danube Delta is the oak forest, home to wild horses, turtles, and snakes. But, at least for now, tourists are not permitted in this pristine zone. And that's your Animals Today Minute for today. Welcome back to the show. Hey, Peter. Hey, Lori. How are you doing? I'm great. Peter, the third week of July is Coral Reef Awareness Week, and I thought we'd talk about coral reefs and uh, see how much you know about coral reefs. I was not expecting this. I know. So, coral reefs, as you know, are rocky mounds formed in the sea by living things through the accumulation and deposition of calcium carbonate, also known as limestone. Hmm. Coral reefs serve as homes, which house many species of fishes, corals, and many other types of marine life. Peter, what are coral reefs mostly made up of? Polyps, algae, marine life, sand. I'm going to say polyps. That's correct. An individual coral is known as a polyp. It's a very small and very simple organism consisting mostly of, ready, Mm -hmm. guts, tentacles, and a mouth, toes, a mouth, and a chin, Mm -hmm. tentacles, a nose, and fingers. I'm going to say whatever you said first. (laughs) That's correct. It's guts, tentacles, and a mouth. I didn't think there'd be a chin. (laughs) Thousands of identical polyps live together and form a colony, a coral colony. And each polyp excretes a calcium carbonate exoskeleton beneath it. And over long periods of time, the skeletons of many coral colonies add up to build the structure of a coral reef. How long is this reef building process, Peter? Like, are we talking in weeks, months, or are we talking decades and centuries? Well, I'm going to say centuries. That's correct. Wow. Yeah. What do coral use to kill their prey? Hmm. Their tentacles, poison that they shoot out from their mouth, or their teeth? 
Oh, I don't think it's the poison shooting. Uh, how about tentacles? It's the tentacles. So oh, okay. there's the, the stomach topped by a tentacle-bearing mouth. The polyps extend their tentacles at night to sting and ingest tiny organisms called plankton and other small creatures. Yeah. Reefs occur in shallow areas or in deep waters or both? Oh, I think shallow. Yeah, you're doing really good on this okay. quiz, by the way. Coral animals... Mm-hmm. That build tropical reefs require sunlight, so they're found in clear, shallow ocean waters. What does it mean when a coral reef is brightly colored? Is, is it overheated? Is it alive and healthy? Right. Or is it trying to attract more marine life? Oh. Well, it's alive and healthy, and maybe number three also. I don't know. I, I think alive and healthy is the answer. Coral reefs cannot live in temperatures less than how many degrees? Mm. 40 degrees? Fahrenheit, 65 degrees Fahrenheit, 75 degrees Fahrenheit, 90 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, how about 65 That's Fahrenheit? That's right. Okay, yeah. This is so interesting. What percentage of all marine fish species live at least part of their lives on coral reefs? Wow. Okay. I'll throw a number out there. I'm going to say uh, 20%. One third. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? Which is at least 5,000 different species of wildlife. So we do need to protect those reefs. We sure do. The diversity of fish found on reefs is just huge. You ever been scuba diving? Never. I don't, I don't think I'd like you it. Know? How about no. snorkel? You okay with that? I'm okay with snorkel. Okay. Just going deep with oxygen in the tank scares me. Yeah. How about you? One time when I was a teenager. Did I you like it? I liked it, but I don't think I knew enough to be uh, sufficiently uh, cautious. Would you do it again? No. Why? I'm a scaredy cat. Okay. I would go snorkeling. Let's, we should go reef snorkeling. It looks beautiful. I would love to do that. Yeah. So we know how important coral reefs are to life in the ocean. And despite this, all of them in the world add up to less than 1% of the seafloor. Isn't that amazing? Mm. What's the largest reef in the world? Mm. Let me give you multiple choice. Okay. The Florida's Big Reef, the Sea Reef, the Fence Reef, the Great Barrier Reef. I'll say the Great Barrier Reef. That's the one I know about. That's the only one you've heard of. Now, let's talk a little bit about the threats to reefs. You have warming waters, right? Right, Ocean acidification. Right. What else? The coral reefs are being degraded in other ways by humans, like overfishing, right? Pollution from sewage and agriculture. Mm -hmm. And the fishing with the cyanide. I guess they dump cyanide in the water to stun the fish and make it easier for them to capture them. Is that correct? Right, right. And then sedimentation from poor land use practices. Mm -hmm. So reefs and their wildlife are also affected by the aquarium trade, right, Peter? Oh, yeah. Reefs and their wildlife are collected to serve as aquarium pets or decorative items. More than 1,800 species of reef fish, 140 species of corals, and 500 species of other invertebrates are used by the pet and home decor trades. Mm. So despite the importance of coral reefs, they're imperiled throughout the world. One recent report estimates that 75% of remaining coral reefs are currently threatened and may have already been lost. Okay, so as you mentioned before, the third week of July is Coral Reef Awareness Week. So uh, make sure to go online and teach yourself more about coral and coral reefs and look at some of those beautiful pictures and videos and then uh, consider going to visit one yourself like we're going to right Lori? that's right and also uh, understand the importance of these reefs and don't support the industries that destroy them 
And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. Animals.